Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who's taken the time to listen to this podcast so far. But if I could just ask one small favour. If you're enjoying the episodes, please can you rate the podcast and leave a small review. This will help so much in spreading the word about it to others. And if you aren't already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get a notification as soon as a new episode is released. As always, thank you so much for lending me your ears. It really is appreciated. My guest this week is Mitch Charles, or as you might know him, DJ Charlesy. In addition to being Tiny Temper's official DJ for over 10 years, he's also a standalone DJ in his own right on the international club scene and balances all of this alongside being a father to his two young daughters, Macy and Halle. In our conversation, we spoke about his early life growing up in East London and where his love of music came from, how him being in the right place at the right time ended up with him becoming Tiny's DJ, why him and his wife Titi recently decided to make the permanent move from London to Dubai, and how lockdown has given him a completely new perspective on his life and being a family man. I love this conversation and delving just that little bit deeper into what life is like behind the scenes of a very busy man. So here it is, episode nine of the Diary of a Dad podcast with DJ Charlesy. So how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm good. I feel fresh in a weird, not fresh way, which is a bit <laughs> strange for me because my feet are on the floor for once. So it feels nice. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not very often that you're sat still in one place for very long, is it? It's not. And I think where, like I've been traveling, but I haven't been traveling anywhere near how I used to. So it's like, I've got a great balance at the minute and I like it. Amazing. Well, we're going to get definitely get into that because I know that travel and, and your movements is is such a big part of, of this, this conversation. Yeah. And something that I do with all of my guests, I guess almost just to set the scene really, is to throw it right the way back. I want to flip it and go back to when you were a child and okay. talk about that time period. So tell me, tell me what was life like for a, a young Mitch Charles? How, how far, how far back am I going? Go back to the beginning. Uh, <laughs> as, back, go, as far back as you can remember. I'll probably go back to where I remember, yeah. Like, um, <laughs> It's weird because I probably only remember from like secondary school mm-hmm. or no, just maybe just before like primary school times when I thought I was the best singer in the world. <laughs> I had like a little boy band with three of my mates that was just absolutely <laughs> terrible. Um, and then, yeah, like secondary school time, I just came from a, a, what was a normal house until my mum and dad split up, which I think was probably around 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And then... um after that, it was just normal. Me and my brother lived with my brother and my mum. My brother's four years older than me. He went to a different school. I went to another school. I went to a, a mixed school. He went to a boys' school. So all the drama was based around my brother, basically. And I was just like the the, the younger brother sitting in the background, known as Hainsley's little brother. So stay away. Um, and yeah, just kind of kept my head down at school. Always kind of focused on music. Everything through school was either music or drama and maths for some weird reason, which 
I don't know why I focused on maths when I love music. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of my childhood, I, I feel like was pretty normal. It weren't, there weren't like nothing that was anything to kind of jump out at me and be like, this is the reason why anything happened in my life. Um, mm-hmm. Grew up in East London, lived next door to Alec and Alex, who is twin B. So okay. literally known them my whole life. So kind of music has kind of run through our, what we would say is our estate for a long time. My brother was DJing at the time as well. They all DJed. So on a weekend, my bedroom, which I shared with my brother, was like a pirate radio station. Mm-hmm. So like MCs would come through, they'd record sets. These are like, I'm talking some of the biggest MCs to come out of East London were coming to my house because my brother was DJing. So I was literally just sitting there on the top bunk watching all of this happen. And my brother would be like, don't ever touch my decks. Don't do this. Don't do nothing. And then I would literally, when he's out of the house, just be on there, like practicing, doing from what I've learned from watching all of the DJs come into my house and everything like that. Until one day he kind of came in and caught me. (laughs) And then was, um, and then literally could actually see I could semi-DJ just based on watching him. And then from that moment, he allowed me to. And then I tried to do what he was doing, bringing MCs, which were younger, but my mates and absolutely terrible MCs um, to recreate their same thing. So like from that moment, that I was probably around 14 at the time. And I think them years were when I knew that's where I was destined to be, like in terms of music and DJing. I don't think I knew I wanted to be a DJ like that, but I knew events music wise that's that's where it was definitely coming to so that was my childhood in a nutshell amazing it's always it's always really interesting I think to hear sort of where that early inspiration comes because some people you know they don't discover it until much later in life or you know but obviously as you say you were just surrounded by it so it was almost it's almost like it was meant to happen Um, yeah I think like I come from a pretty musical family like my cousin was a backing singer for Michelle Gao back in the day um Mm. my uncle is a very big singer in the UK um his daughters sing for him so it was like it was always musical we just knew it the only one who kind of worked musical in my family as in my whole family was my dad um, right. But like on my dad's side, yeah, everyone was in the entertainment industry. Like my aunt worked uh, as a producer on the BBC. There was a few other people that worked for the BBC within my family, whether it was like on an accountant level or whatever, but in the industry. Mm. So it was always like it just run through our family completely. And I think with the success my uncle had, I think all of us just knew that we wanted to be some way in the industry. Yeah. And that's again another thing because you, I think you either get those families where it is lots of people and there's like a reference point and you can go, okay, that's what I want to aspire to. Or you're like the lone ranger in the family yeah. trying to c- convince everybody that you can make it and they they don't understand it and have got no idea, you know, how, how it works. Yeah, I think it so, goes either way. Like say my dad, he has no interest in music like whatsoever. Mm. And I don't, I, like my uncle, I think... I think is the oldest out of six or seven siblings and my dad's the youngest. So it might've been a thing of where like my dad was always in the shadows maybe or whatever. And my uncle yeah. was like, he, he, he was big from early for a very long time. So 
I think my dad just weren't interested. But on our yeah. side, me and my brother, we just knew. Like, Yeah, yeah. So at what point was it then where, I guess, from your side, where things just started to change and you, you know, obviously you've gone from pirate radio and, you know, that sort of bedroom setup. At what point did you just feel like, yeah, this is definitely changing now? Um, I think like, so obviously all of those guys coming from my house, going to the youth clubs, which I probably should never have been going to at my age, <laughs> um, just seeing what kind of DJing done to people and the reaction that it got, like the reaction you got from playing songs and stuff like that. I just kind of pushed myself out there to look for anything that I can do as an outlet. Cause obviously I couldn't DJ in clubs. I couldn't do anything at that age. So I remember there was probably when I was about 15, maybe 14, 15, there was a under 18s DJ competition mm-hmm. that um, at the time Luminar, they were called, um, hosted around the UK. And then I think I entered that. It was, well, my brother entered the first one he done really well i think it ended up uh the final was him and spyro okay (laughs) yeah and i think spyro ended up winning and then so a year or two later i entered the same competition and i i didn't get as far as my brother was like i just got as far as the regionals in london and came second so it was like nowhere near the finals like my brother got to so then from that point i was like yeah i need i need to do this more then I'm fishing for like radio courses, um, DJ courses, everything. Managed to do one radio course when I was 15 uh, in Stratford. And the course lasted about three weeks. And then the final week was they put the station on an FM dial. So you got to do a week actually on the FM. So I did that. And I did that with a friend of mine called Courtney. And then at the end of it, the um, we got a call from at the time this was one extra hadn't even launched so we got a call saying uh we want you to come to our open day at the bbc blah 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 didn't know nothing about it this was myself courtney and one of the producers that helped do the course so we've gone along to the radio the open day done everything they were happy it was like test pilots and stuff like that and then it was like okay so how old are you guys uh we're 15 it was like, yeah, so it's not, it's not going to work. You have to be over 17 or 18 to do this. And then so obviously it was devastated. But the producer, Crispin, he managed to get a job on One Extra from that same time we was there. And 10, 15 years later, he was actually my producer on One Extra. Wow. So it was like, so yeah, anyway, we'll jump to that. So then obviously at that time, I'm just thirsty for anything to do with DJing, radio, anything. So then um, now I'm 16, 17, I'm starting to put on my own events. I used to do like illegal kind of under 18, over 18 events with alcohol in the area. And I'd be getting like two, 300 people coming a month. And, and I would just put these on in like function rooms, going by the alcohol myself, building up a, like a, a good little following in East London. And then as soon as I turned 18, all of the local clubs started booking me as a DJ. And then I started to bring people, like they'd give me the last half an hour and I'd end up bringing three, 400 people a time. And then that just grew into me doing my own parties, um, DJing more locally. At this point, I probably didn't, I hadn't DJed anywhere outside of East London and Essex by the time I was like 19. And then 
yeah, the rest was kind of history from there. <laughs> well, it seems, I mean, you've definitely put in the groundwork and, you know, sort of worked at it. And I think, I suppose that kind of shines through now because obviously knowing you and, you know, it, knowing that the passion that you have for, for DJing and events, I, that now makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That there's that rich history. Um, and I always say that if you can kind of cut it as a, as a promoter, self-funded promoter and doing all of that sort of stuff then i think you can deal with anything <laughs> like i used to print out paper tickets like paper tickets and sell these <laughs> two pound three pound tickets to people going to deliver them to them like and they used to hand them in on the door and they were just like cut up a4 not even cut up with a proper paper cutter cut up with scissors not even yeah. straight edges like yeah them days were crazy to be honest but i think again that's really I, I just think those lessons that you learn in business that way are, they're, they're just really key. Um, you know, you were clearly taking pride in what it was that you were doing. Yeah. And, you know, people respected that. They knew that there was a process. They knew they had to get their tickets. They had to, you know, that I think when I speak to a lot of people today and we talk about business and, and things like that, people want to cut corners. Yeah. Because, you know, it's it's the world now doesn't, portray that you have to work hard sometimes i don't, I don't think no. um so it's always and, really interesting and obviously this is at a time when there's no social media so it's exactly. like um it's all word of mouth literally like and, and i'm talking probably like now a bit older doing events when i'm 20 and i'm having to stand outside clubs at 4am handing out flyers mm -hmm. and paying to get thousands of cds printed to give to people going to seven eight clubs in one night to put flyers on car windows and stuff like that like them days are completely gone. And I think they, they like people underestimate how much work went in to putting on events back in them days. Mm. And I was, I was seen as like the young one. These there was people that had been doing that for 10 years before I was there. I, I, I was doing at the end of it. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think people forget that. Yeah. It is. It's a, it's a very different time, you know, but um, as I say, foundations were, were definitely laid. So music, DJing, radio, anything like that was, was clearly your focus at, at this time. The one thing that I haven't heard you mention is wanting to settle down, get into a relationship, have kids, get married, all of, all of that sort of stuff. Had any of that even crossed your mind whilst all of this is going on in your life? Um, I think at them times, probably not. Like... I, it, I think it really kicked in when I felt like I had done a lot, like not everything, because I still ain't done everything I want to do, but a lot. And I think probably the relationships I was in at the time, I probably weren't even thinking about it because it may not have been the right time or the right person. Do you get what I mean? So um, I think like with my wife now, T, as soon as I got with her, I knew like that was it. And I think I'd done, I'd done a lot. I toured the world two or three times over. Um, and then we just knew it was the right time. So yeah, when I was younger, the focus was purely on me trying to get into that place. So yeah, kids, kid, yeah. I don't think I wanted kids at that time. Yeah, I couldn't even see myself with kids at that time. It's, it's definitely, and I think I, when I speak to a lot of people, particularly in the music industry, I guess there's certain times where you feel like you've got to, you know, if you're going to make it in whatever your area is, 
you kind of can't really have the distractions or too many distractions. And I guess that's why, you know, people sometimes do focus more so on that one thing and then, you know, pick up the family side of things maybe a little bit later, later down the line. So let's talk about that time because obviously you mentioned sort of touring. Obviously, for those that don't know, you at some point, you and Tiny Temper come into contact. What was yeah. what was the what was the connection behind that? How did that happen? Obviously, I said earlier about Twin living next door. So uh, I think it was the End Ups tour, funny enough, they're about to go again. Mm-hmm. Um, their first tour and Tiny was supporting. And then um, Twin was DJing on the tour in between like some of the acts and stuff like that. And then there was, I would like, this is how obsessed I was with everything. So I would, I'd literally follow Twin. I'd get up at five o'clock in the morning to go up one extra when he's doing a breakfast show. Mm-hmm. I would go to all of his shows when he's DJing just to be there and just soak everything up. And he was on that end ups tour. And there was one day, one of Tiny's DJs didn't turn up. So I just jumped in and filled in. <laughs> And yeah, the rest is literally history from that moment. <laughs> that DJ's that DJ's <laughs> kicking himself now. It's like <laughs> I should have just gone to work that day. <laughs> so I, I ended up finishing the whole tour basically with Tiny on that. Right. And this was like this is pre-pass out. This is way before, not way before, probably a year before. Um, and I hadn't really heard of him, didn't know too much about him. And then yeah, literally think. Ended up doing about six or seven dates on the end ups tour. This is end ups like at the height mm. first tour, really going for it, and then just carried on straight after that. Didn't stop. And I was at the time I was also working in the school as a teaching assistant and like doing music stuff for the students. And I'd, I'd literally got to the point where I just would walk out halfway through a lesson and say I need to go somewhere, and go and do a show, come back the next day. And then got to the point where I just didn't even go back. Yeah. Because we got that busy. Yeah, there was definitely a, a real rise. I feel like it happened so quickly. Uh, again, you know, I know there was a lot of work that was going on behind the scenes, but I think certainly once um, once Tiny just started to make those inroads into radio and become more mainstream, it just it just skyrocketed. Yeah. Um, so so that doesn't definitely. surprise me. So you have had all of that experience of you know, being on the road as a DJ with an artist and, you know, just enjoying that, that particular lifestyle. When it came to your relationship, when did, when did you and T meet? This is where it gets all weird now. (laughs) So in, in the same times I'm talking about, uh, these under 18, over 18 parties and me doing like being a local DJ she used to come to all the events. Okay. Um, her and her friends, like I used to run a club in East London as well. She used to come to that. Um, didn't really like me at the time. <laughs> I don't think a lot of her friends liked me at the time. And then fast forward like seven or eight years, I'm doing a show in Abu Dhabi and her sister lives, lived there and she was on holiday. And then um, they came and met us. And then that's where we kind of, obviously we know each other. Mm. She didn't particularly like me, but I forced her to like me after that. <laughs> and then she she kept me on my toes for about a year and then we made it official. Amazing. It's, um, I always find that when those, when, when people have been in each other's lives for, for such a long time, it's, 
I guess I don't know because she, you say she she wasn't particularly there wasn't really that much of an interest there anyway, was there? So it's um, nah. It, again, one of those ones where it can go one of two ways. Um, you're either you're, you're either meant to be together or you're you're just going to end up hating each other for for the rest of, of, of the time. So then, when you guys get together, obviously you're still now you know you, you're you're very active. You're you're here, there, and everywhere. And I've I've always been fascinated about how that dynamic works because you know when you're on the road and you know you've got a girlfriend and how did you sort of manage that whole that whole thing um at that time probably this was probably like in the height of everything right so tiny's absolutely flying doing full-on residencies and ib for and things like that so, and t had just finished being an air hostess so she wasn't she was in between jobs so she would actually come to quite a lot of things so like anything kind of in europe wise she'd come to a lot of it um if she was also living in dubai at the time so then if i'm off which is a good kind of flexibility of being a dj if i'm off i'm not doing anything else like i wasn't on radio at the time so I would literally be in Dubai for three or four weeks at a time and be with her, then go and fly and do what I need to do and then come back or she'll come with me or whatever. So at the start of our relationship at that time, the balance was perfect because also at the start of a relationship, being under each other too much probably wouldn't have got us to where we are now you anyway. Needed, so. You needed the break from each other <laughs> occasionally. Yeah. yeah. And and then when you were, so obviously, you know, as the relationship's progressing, um, did you at this point is it a conversation that you guys have about you know right we we're gonna one day settle down and we are gonna start a family like do you remember that specific conversation <laughs> yeah yeah I think more more on my side so now I'm saying earlier on I had no thought of it whatsoever and then it got to the point where it was like I was we, I was confident we'd move to New York in five years and have kids like it was yeah that's that's mm. what we're doing the new york thing didn't happen but the kids <laughs> thing happened less than five years i think it was probably three years after right. we got together we had macy so it was like i i always knew and then it was more she she did but she didn't know how quick she wanted right. to have kids and then it was like it literally was one day let's just do it <laughs> as in have kids um and, and then, then yeah. Do you That's remember right. when you when you first found out that you were going to be a dad? What was what was that moment like? Everything kind of comes back into Dubai, right? So we I think we found out I actually remember it to this day. We found out we was having Macy a day after I did a big show, a big festival in Dubai, and it was like Jesse J played it. Um, Marvin Humes was there, John Newman. Was it Redfest? I remember that lineup, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then um, literally we're all around the pool and then we've had a big day, big event, big party, next day, find out. And then we was just like, yeah, it was perfect. And in my head I was like, yeah, I've never been so ready for Mm -hmm. something. And I think it just, all of our biggest moments have happened in Dubai. So it was even nice that it happened then and we found out then as well. And I think she was happy that she got to have a big night out before before, before actually finding out. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I suppose 
She probably she probably <laughs> knew to be fair, but just wanted to uh, have that night. That out. big blowout before before telling you. I think it's again, and I suppose depending on where you where you are in your life when you have children, I suppose there's different people. Some some guests that I've had, you know, they found out very early on and they feel like, oh, I never really quite got the chance to do what I wanted to do, you know, before finding out that I was gonna have a child. Um, so there must be something quite nice about it. Whereas you said you, you felt like you'd achieved so much at that stage, you know, you were flying high, you were doing all the wonderful things, having some amazing moments. And then, then you'd known that you wanted to be a dad anyway. So that coming together must've been nice. Yeah. It, it felt like the next, like that was the next phase. And I think even for T, she had, she obviously was an air hostess. So she had traveled around the world as well and seen a lot of places, um, and then, yeah, it just made sense. I just, I knew it was the right time. There was no doubt in my mind that it was never going to be the right time. Yeah. And then that first pregnancy then with, with Macy. So again, I think back to looking at what, a, you know, a typical pregnancy must look like with appointments and scans and, you know, doing all of that. How were you balancing your diary alongside all of that at the time? From what I remember, I was still super busy, but I don't think I missed right. one appointment. And I think because uh, we, she would have fell pregnant in February time, and then Mace was born October. Yeah, so I would have been really busy at the time, especially mm -hmm. going into the summer. And I feel, I feel like maybe she strategically planned it so that I was always there as well. But yeah, I don't think I don't think I missed an appointment. And to me, it was like, it's, your, it's our first baby. I wanted to make sure that I was there for everything as well. And at this time, we was both living in the UK. So it was a bit easier to yeah. be around. Yeah. And were you like prepared for it? Do you feel that you said you wanted to be a dad and you knew that that was literally like the, the next phase, but were you ready? Did, did you personally feel like this was now something that you could take on? Um. Yeah, probably. I think like in terms of being a dad and knowing what I need to do. Yeah. But in terms of being ready as in like where we was living and things like that, probably not. Like we was living in a one bedroom flat in East London, um, probably for about a year and a half of Macy being born and saving up for a house at this time. So there was the stresses of that whilst also bringing up a newborn baby. I was really busy. I think we were just doing our second arena tour at that time in the winter. Right. So it was like we would, I'd be struggling to get back to help out. Like I'd, I'd, In the first six months, I probably wasn't around as much as I should have been mm. and as hands-on, which I know would have been hard on tea. And definitely for the second baby, that was never going to be a thing. Um, so yeah, I think I probably felt more ready because I wasn't as involved, if you get what I mean. Yeah, I can see that. I, and it, I suppose it's one of those things, isn't it, that if you, if we were to have this conversation with Titi and, you know, she might she might say something completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, she might have been tearing her hair out or, or whatever. But again, I suppose that's just the nature, I guess, of your job. And when I, when I thought about this podcast, I was looking at different people's diaries and schedules and just going, how on earth do you manage that 
because yeah. you know, as, as someone that's been around every single day without fail, you know, I I can't imagine having to like jump on a plane and go away for a few days or you know a, a tour that might be a couple of weeks or, or whatever it might be. Well, we, we we definitely had a good support system. Like mm. my we lived in the next building to my mum. T's family was around the corner. So we, they, her friends are really good. My friends are really good. I I was the first out of my friends to have a baby. So everyone was like smothering Macy at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, in terms of support, I think if we didn't have that, it would have been a different story. Like definitely. But yeah. T was, t- I, I know she never felt like she was on her own. Yeah, well, that's good. And I think the, we've talked a lot on the pod about support systems and where that comes from. And it's, it's actually really interesting where people end up finding that support because, yeah. you know, sometimes it's, you know, it can be as simple as grandparents, but then you get other people who, you know, they don't live close and then it's friends and, you know, other family members and toddler groups and all of that sort of stuff that, where the, uh, the support comes in. Yeah. So you mentioned there, you said that you already knew that if you were going to have a second child that you do things very differently, um, which to me suggests that, you know, again, there's an element of planning that's gone on here. Um, uh, how was it, it different second time round? <laughs> well, put it this way, second time round, I think T had the baby at like 7 p.m. or something, and I was on a plane at 1 a.m. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it, it was definitely different second time round, but... we knew what to expect like again I don't think I miss many appointments to be fair second time round a lot of the appointments that you do the first time round just show how much of a waste of time some of them are anyway so Mm -hmm. as in antenatal classes because you know what you're doing um so then I think we we felt a lot more comfortable the birth was in a birthing center so she was a lot more comfortable as well and I would never have gone if I didn't feel she was comfortable and she didn't feel she was comfortable. Um, and yeah, I was literally on a plane to Santorini, I think back within 24 hours and then she was already home with a baby. So, Imagine but yeah, it. we, uh, second time around, I was definitely around a lot more, um, more hounds on. And that was in the height of the summer as well. But the difference with them times I think was, I would be going from place to place when Macy was born. But when Hallie was born, it was like, okay, go to IB for four nights, come home for two days, go somewhere. So it was broken up a lot more and I was around a lot more. So it was a bit easier. Yeah, because I remember seeing on socials, like just how active you were. And it did feel like you were flying in and out of countries, like you said there, every every couple of days. Um, but I guess... But yeah, the, it's, 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 it's like the... I could go through a gap where there's two days in between a show, but I would just stay wherever I am. Mm. And I wasn't like, I, I, I made that decision when Hallie was born that that's not happening. Like I, I don't need to be there. I can be at home helping out. So why don't I just go home? Mm. And yeah, it took its toll on me, but I, I had to think about how much it took its toll on T with me not being there. So it had to be done. Yeah. Well, the, the balance was, was definitely needed. And then how long was it then before? So obviously now you guys, you live in Dubai. You mentioned earlier that, you know, that a lot of what's happened moments in your life is, is kind of centered around Dubai. What was yeah. the, what was the deciding factor around just 
making that move? Because that's a that's a big move to make, you know, especially you were on radio here in the UK, you, you know, things were very busy and active for you. What was the, the thinking behind the move? Um, well, we got married in Dubai in October of 2019. And like we, like you, you're, you're probably in Dubai more than anywhere else, probably more than England. Um, <laughs> so we, every half term we're in Dubai, every big moment, Christmas, summers, we're in Dubai, everything. So it was like, we always knew we wanted to live here. We didn't know when, we didn't know how her sister lives here. My brother was living here at the time. So we just knew it was the right move, but obviously my work was the factor of us not doing it. I was on radio, still touring, still doing things. But then it got to the point where in the winter, I was in Dubai more than I was in the UK. So every week for two years straight between September and May, I would fly to Dubai. So I'd fly in on a Monday, fly out on Friday morning and spend the weekend in England. Right. And that was like two years straight. So then it, I think there was one time after we got married, the next month was F1 weekend and I was in Dubai. And I think I was in Blue Marlin or something. And T's just messaged me and she was like, while she's there having fun, I'm just at home with the kids. Why don't, I, why don't we just move to Dubai? And in that split second, we made the decision. And then three months later, we'd moved. Incredible. <laughs> I love those like decisive moments because... Clearly, clearly it had been brewing, obviously, for some time. But, yeah. then, you know, just having to, to, to make that, that cut. And what were your thoughts around the kids? Like, was that a big consideration for you in terms of just thinking how they would take a move like that? I think, obviously, because they've been so many times, they know, like, they loved it every time we came. Um, and then on our side, the move was for the kids, like, we, we could have always handled being in England. I could have handled traveling back and forth if we had no kids. She would have come or whatever. But like, to me, safety element, uh, education, just better way of living. I don't think, uh, like I love London, I love the UK a lot, but I just wouldn't want to bring my kids up there at this present stage, do you get what I mean? And I think especially we moved in February of 2020, I believe. And COVID obviously hit a month or two later. And on a personal level, I probably wouldn't have been able to handle COVID in the UK with the kids. And it was a lot easier in Dubai. So I think, yeah, there was no, there's no question that this was the best move we made for the kids. Yeah. Well, obviously I... Still to this day. I, I can relate... And I've been trying to convince you for how many years now? So. <laughs> We're edging closer and closer. Every time we have the, our problem is we always add another child every time we have this conversation. Um, but listen, I'm not, the reason why I'm not having no more children is because of how expensive it is in Dubai with kids. So for you, you'd, you'd be better off opening your own school. <laughs> I think we, I think we may have to do something like that, but I, I get that, you know, and, and I suppose it's a really, I, I'm again fascinated by people that make such bold moves, you know, so that's a really big thing to do. But I think understanding now that for you guys, there was the kids were at the center of that decision, I think is, yeah. makes a lot of sense. And yeah, because there was a lot I had to give up. Like, obviously, I had a great radio show on one extra. I was, it was just at the time when Radio One 
were taking me on a lot of shows and stuff like that. So there was a clear path being paved, but I had to just think for the future and like, I don't know, things work in mysterious ways, but with COVID happening and me still being in England at that time, I don't, I don't know what would have happened. So yeah, it's true. Definitely the best decision. And I was going to ask you about that because lockdown, I know Dubai initially, it was a, it was a hard lockdown. We think <laughs> there was a lot of people moaning here in the UK about that first lockdown. But when I was speaking to people like yourself and others that we know that live in Dubai, I was like, yeah, I think they've got it a little bit more tough than, than we had. <gasps> yeah, we, we, we had three months of a prison lockdown. Mm. You had to apply to go out for an hour. You was only allowed one out once every three days. Yeah, it was it was intense. Wow. And what was what <laughs> what was intense. family life like in that scenario? See, this is where it's like I can honestly say now I'm the closest I've ever been to my kids because of right. COVID. Like pre-COVID, obviously traveling and stuff, it was okay, daddy's away, daddy's away, daddy's back, daddy's away, daddy's back. COVID with us being here, I, I couldn't go nowhere. And I was home, like even to the point where we bought our house in England and I'd spent more time outside of the house than in the right. house. So it never felt like mm -hmm. home. But then to move to Dubai and be in our house and be with the kids during COVID 24 hours a day, seven, eight months in a row, that was home. Like this is why I, I, I would always say now, I for once in my life feel like I'm at home. Yeah. And that was purely because of COVID. So it's like on the on the flip side of yes, it was hard during COVID. On this side, it was amazing. You, yeah, I mean? no, hundred percent see that. I think a lot of dads, again, if we're going down the stereotypical route, you know, there were a lot of dads that even if you just had a you know fairly standard nine to five, that meant that you were out the house for huge chunks of the day and didn't see certain things. I think when COVID came along and a lot more people obviously had to stay at home and you know were now working from yeah. home. I think it's definitely changed a lot of people's thinking. I know there were a few dads that were very desperate to get back out to work. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, as I mean, you just hearing you say that about, you know, that, that bond that you, you got with your kids, that, that's just, for me, I, I look at COVID as, as something like that. I just look at the positive that came out of it. Yeah. Like it, it was easy to walk out of the house like pre-COVID. Now I'm I'm going away and I'm like, I don't want to leave. They don't want me to leave. It's like, when are you back? When are you back? When before it just felt normal. Do you get what I mean? So it was like, and when you're in it and it's happening at that time, you feel like it's yeah. normal. When actually the normal is what I'm going through now. I should be going away thinking, I don't want to go away, but I'm going away for you guys. Do you get yeah. what I mean? And again, it goes back to, Anytime I could be in and out of somewhere, I'm doing it. Like I'm, I've got a busy summer ahead where I'm traveling seven hours a time to go somewhere for 24 mm. hours and I'm going to do it. Yeah. So it's like, it's, yeah, I think if COVID hadn't happened and I hadn't been at home for them years with the kids, I'd probably still be in that same mentality of just get up and go. Yeah, it's, it definitely it has definitely changed things. There's, there's like a, a, almost like a balance that needed to be redressed or, you know, something, something yeah. just needed to change. And I think it's amazing to, I, I love hearing the positive impacts that it's had on, on families. 
this is obviously positive, but there was the negative side of things, like mentally for me and with how busy I, I, I was to not be busy at all. Like, yes, negative wise, but I would never have got through that if I didn't have the kids there also. So that was also a blessing. Because and let's, let's talk about that because I suppose that's the other thing that sometimes people do shy away from is, you know, that was a particularly difficult time. Obviously we, we both work in, in entertainment and in, in the music industry specifically. So going from lots and lots of things to nothing was was tough you know how how did you you mentioned there that you know the kids kind of got you through but what does that look like in a in a practical sense because I guess we've all got to then look after our own mental health and our own you know sort of feelings what were you doing to to sort of just get you through that time yeah it it was tough like it was probably more than tough obviously the kids helped it made it a lot um not easier but easier and tea especially but yeah, it was like, you got to think from going from literally consistently working and traveling for over 12 years straight, where you don't even have time to even think about what a mental state is, to then nothing, we had just moved to Dubai, literally savings, everything was put into this move where we're like, okay, I'm going to have the busiest summer I'm ever going to have on my own. Everything was locked in to literally overnight all of that just stopping yeah mentally it was it was tough and I I think it it kind of made me realize like I said what mental health is if that makes sense because mm. I never I'd, I'd never thought about mental health because I've never needed to until this situation and I think there was points where like like I said with the kids it helped me but there was definitely times where I'd snap at them I'd, it'd be like I'm there, but I'm not there. Um, same with T. Like there's probably times where she she probably would have had a breakdown because of how I'm feeling, but all I'm probably thinking about is myself. Um, and even like them, that mental state yeah, it hasn't gone because it's not. It's still. I don't know. You think about what you could have had, yeah, and what what was planned to now. Like even now, I'm just, I'm in a place now where I'm not chasing nothing anymore. When before I'd be like, okay, summer's coming. I'll make sure I've got seven bookings in seven days. Mm. Now I'm a bit more, okay, let me just take a step back. Let's start again. Not start again, but like not force it because I'm yeah. good. I'm like in a good place financially, everything. So, so why try and force it to make just to, to try and chase what was happening before. Yeah. And I, I if think that I makes can, sense. No, it, it, I, I totally relate to it because, you know, we were in the same position. There was 2020 for our business would have probably been, I believe, a breakthrough year. There was mm. a, a few things that we had lined up that, you know, a few first in, in the business and you go, right, well, if you do that, that's going to catapult you to there and that's going to take you to the next level or, you know, that, and, and we just didn't have that. And so I can definitely relate to that, you know, almost like the what ifs and, yeah. you know, you do try to, I suppose for me, maybe I did overcompensate isn't the right word, but I was trying to see the positives of us actually taking a foot off the pedal for the first time ever. Um, yeah. 
and you know spending that time with the kids and obviously you know we had we've had a couple of children over this two-year period so you know really just trying to look at the the positives there but the reality is that when you've got children and you are working for children because you know you've got mouths to feed and there, there was just so much uncertainty I, I think that yeah. was you know that was the biggest challenge really we, we didn't know and I know that Dubai was probably even more challenging because there was points where it looked like things were going to get going again and then it yeah. set back two, two, two or three times but Luckily, the company I work with here at the start, yes, was tough. There literally was nothing. But then I'd say probably four or five months after, or in like August time after, maybe a bit later, I'd I'd been being paid since then. So it the, the financial comfortability was all right, but everything else mentally probably wasn't. Do you get what I mean? So it was like, and then, then it got to the point where, okay, now I'm starting to get back on a plane again. And I'll tell you now, like that first trip away was probably my worst experience of traveling because it was like, okay, get on a plane, go to another country and go and do a show. But the anxiety was there. I was like, should I leave? I didn't even want to go. I don't know whether whether it was because of me being at home for so long with the kids. I don't know whether it was like, is it something I want? It was like just the weirdest thing ever. And maybe even the anxiety of, COVID still being around, being stuck somewhere, like that was a, the biggest thing. And I'd only flown, I think like 45 minutes to Bahrain. So it was literally around the corner. Mm. But my worst nightmare was being stuck there when I've been at home, not stuck, but at home. And it was the norm. Yeah. So it was like, it's just, yeah, it was weird. When now I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll just jump on a plane. It's fine. I think there's, yeah, I, I, there's, there's so much to unpack from that whole COVID situation and, and coming out the other side. Uh, I don't think people have spoken enough about it. Um, yeah. You know, I think because, like you say, in, in your scenario, prior to COVID, that was just normal. You know, you wouldn't have even thought about it. And then suddenly, you know, there's, there's this thing there. So we talk about mental health and, you know, obviously I'm by no means an expert and, you know, don't ever want to claim to be, but I am always in, intrigued with yourself. If ever you have that sort of feeling like, so let's say like it's, it's an anxiety type of feeling that relates to something like this. What do you do to, to help yourself through that, that time? Is, is there anything in particular that you're doing um nah not really like and still now there'll be mornings where I wake up and I'm like anxious or the the not knowing I think it's more about not knowing than anything so it's like I think I just need to like it's it's hard to snap out of it but I just have to and I think the kids always help that um tea obviously always helps that but it's I don't know, like even now, like I said, I'm not chasing me going to be in Ibiza every week or my bay or whatever. But then there's probably that little bit of when I see other people that are there and it's happening now, I'm like, yeah, but I should be there. And then maybe that's causing a bit of anxiety, but then something else will flip it where I can see past it and I'm like, okay, yeah, now I'm good. Mm. So there isn't an exact way where it's like, okay, this is helping me, but it's, yeah, it's... I don't know. It's a tricky one. And I don't think I've still now got to the bottom of it, but 
it's definitely a part of my life. Yeah. And I think it's, I suppose it's just the, it's, like you said, the uncertainty is probably the worst because I, I feel that in our business that, you know, you make all of these plans and things that before you would have just never questioned whether it's going to go ahead or, you know, no. and now there's a, there's a whole other thing. And every time I turn on the news and this is why I, I try not to even watch the news, but you can't help it if you're on social media, but you know, you'll hear about something else that's happening or another country that maybe isn't doing as well on the COVID front. And you just, you know, it, it does sort of yeah. bring back all of those, those feelings again. But that's, and that's, that's a great thing with Dubai. Like you, you don't hear about bad news in that way. Right. And even to the point like after COVID, I literally restarted my whole Instagram. I'm followed absolutely everyone. Mm. Started again. I was following like 3,000 people. I think I follow like 300 now. And just to get away from all of that, because it was just like, I've, I've moved to Dubai for another reason of waking up and seeing the sunshine. Like you're going you're gonna to be happy straight away. Mm. So you don't want to wake up, see the sunshine and then see bad news on Instagram. Do you get what I mean? So it was like, I think that that helps and it's, it plays a massive part in just feeling positive about things. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's not, it's not easy. No, of course it's not. But that's a beautiful segue into a conversation around social media. Um, obviously you are someone that's benefited from social media throughout your career. You're now bringing children up in a social media era. <laughs> How do you feel, what, what are your sort of like your general feelings around, you know, social media, your young, your young daughters and, and how they're going to use it? Or is it something you're not trying to think too much about at the moment? <laughs> it changes so quick. Like you, we, we don't know what it's going to be in a year's time. We don't know what it's going to be in two years time. Like two years ago, no one would have said TikTok is where it is now. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I'm I'm not thinking about it in that way. Like I got I got home the other day and Macy said, Oh daddy, look at my YouTube channel. I've just started one. <laughs> I was like, sorry? You've and all she's putting on it is like, here's my family, here's this, here's that. But like it's innocent mm. and okay, yeah, it's fine. So to me, I'm not I'm not one to be like, okay, you're not you can't look at social media, you can't do this, you can't do that. Like they've got iPads. It's they look at YouTube, they look at this, it's it's gonna happen. And I just think it's a matter of censoring it as much as you can and just being on top of what they're looking at. Like right now, Macy doesn't, she, she looks at TikTok, but in Dubai it's quite filtered, right. luckily because of the rules and stuff like that. But I think, yeah, I'm not, I, she's seven. So the time when she really wants to be on social media is when that's when I think about it because in two or three years time when she's in secondary school and everyone's got it, that's when you need to think about it, but we don't know how it's going to be at that time. Yeah. There could be a whole new set of apps that haven't even, you know, been, been created yet. Yeah. And, and them apps could be actually good, like not good, but they could have a good filtration system. You can really monitor what the kids have and watch and put up like, so yeah, right now, She's she's not really both of them are not really interested in it, mm. but I think that could be a big Dubai thing more than anything. Yeah, possibly it's and I, I think I mean like I think the word innocence that you use there is the key. I think anything that the kids want to do or see at this stage, there is an innocence behind it. You know, 
Yeah, hundred percent. My kids love watching YouTube videos and you know watching other people on YouTube, and that's it's all very very innocent, and you almost don't want to create this cloud above them that oh you know that's bad or that this is bad because they're just that they're just kids, aren't they? At this stage. Yeah, and I think especially like when you just said about watching people on YouTube, which to me is the strangest <laughs> thing ever. But it's like that's that's what they're obsessed with, and it's like okay, cool. But just know that this isn't like that's not what you need to aspire to do. And it's like um, us talking about it now. I've not even thought about it in this way. But the next time she actually watches anything like that, and I, I watch it, I watch it with her. Where there's this little like food miniature things where they cook little stuff anyway yeah um but like as we're talking about i'm thinking which i haven't had the conversation with her about but it's one of them things where it's not don't aspire to be what these people are doing on youtube but think about everything that's around it so like the the some of the professional ones i don't know this toy kid was ryan's toys or something like right now there's a whole massive production company that produces all the things like I want to have the conversations with her thinking about all the stuff around it, which luckily me coming from a musical family, I got taught all of those things from young. Like, mm. yes, you're a DJ, but what comes around it? Yes, you tour, but what comes around it? And I think that's, if these kids are so into YouTube and social media, for me, all I want to install into them is the stuff that comes around it. Like, yes, be love maths and want to be an accountant, but you can still put that into YouTube. You can, like, yeah. Ryan's Toys still needs an accountant and you're still something you're passionate about. So, like, just talking about it with you now is what's made me think about it and I think it's important. So, yeah, I'm not one to be, like, no social media. Definitely not. Yeah, I think it's so important. You know, I think we, we have to understand that this is just going to be a part of our kids' lives growing up. We don't know what shape or form it's going to take over the years. And as you say, I think if you can kind of give them the skills that they could potentially use in yeah. any given area, then that, that I think can only be a good thing, really. Um, you know, I, I was talking to, to Arlo the other day and he's fascinated with watching like these transition yeah. clips. And I was saying to him, oh, do you know how people do that? And, you know, he was like, no. And then, you know, we downloaded an app and then I was like, we were just making these silly little videos, but it's like, he can actually now see the process of how something yeah. like that would be, would be edited. Um, you know, and I, I thought that's something that no. we never had, you know, I, I, I didn't understand how that, that whole side of things works. So it's, um, yeah, I like the idea of just being very, very open-minded, I guess, when it, when it comes to, to socials. And yeah, and it, uh, maybe more for me because, it, like you said, it played a big part of kind of where I am today. And mm. I'd be the first to tell you now, if it wasn't me as DJ Charles, I'd no way have a pri uh, public Instagram. Like, yeah. um, I struggle to even post stuff on it now. I'm, I force myself to do it. <laughs> and it's like, if I'm, I'm going to do a show, yeah, okay, I'll post a story, I'll do my flight, I'll do everything. The five days in between that, there's no activity on my Instagram whatsoever. <laughs> so it's like, it, it, it's a job in itself that it's not something I'm passionate about, but I know mm. I need to do it. So it's, it's one of them things I just don't want the kids to be in a point where they feel like they have to have social media for mm. what purpose? Do you get what I mean? But yeah. I, I'm not going to be the person to say, you're not allowed it. Definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about balance. I think that that definitely just seems to be the, the thing. And I guess as parents, we've just got to figure that out as, yeah. as we go along more than anything. 
so obviously you're you know you're living out in Dubai now you've explained your reasons as to why that move you know for you was the the right thing to do is that for you now do you see it as home and where you're you're going to be staying certainly I, I'm, for the... I'm not I'm not going nowhere okay <laughs> yeah I'm done I, I, I'd move I'd move to Spain or Portugal before going back to the UK right okay you're that set on it <laughs> yeah or Bali or somewhere like <laughs> yeah def, def, definitely not going back to the UK okay and you know for, for people that don't that have never been and that just don't understand what are some of the the factors behind that you mentioned the sun earlier and you know how that's just a big big factor I, I, obviously it's different for someone like me because I have a big support network just as big in Dubai as what I did in England like right. my mum my mum lives here with us um T's sister lives here my brother's ex-wife and my nephew lives here my wife's aunt lives here like there's there's a lot of us here right so it it and like I said me being here during COVID and actually feeling like home this is my home yeah and um yeah, I just can't see, I don't know, I just can't see that life in England anymore. Yeah. And I, it's, it's definitely something I don't regret. Yeah, that's, that's, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Because um, I guess, you know, having people around is kind of a big factor with, with most people when they're, they're looking at making any move. And also Dubai, it feels as though it's a very, like, key and pivotal time for, for it, for the place at the moment. You know, it seems like there's a lot of opportunity yeah and i think it's it's there's going to be more like i was talking to someone last night about it and she was saying that she feels like there's two or three years left in dubai and i'm like yeah it's it's impossible to think like that when you've got saudi next door Mm -hmm. that's probably four or five years behind that will come quick and dubai is never going to allow saudi to just jump over it so they'll they'll all adjust it yes they're all part of the same gcc countries but like they all want to progress and be the number one. Do you get what I mean? So yeah, I just can't, I can't see it. And we've missed out on two, two whole years of what Dubai was and was getting to. Mm. So yeah, I, I would never have come here if I didn't. Yes, we talk about the kids and it being a safe place and doing that. But on a work level, there's no way I would have come here if I didn't see the opportunities. Yeah. And there is like, I there's think- no way that it's going to end anytime soon. And I think like even just Expo that was was there recently probably just showed the the real potential um, and more yeah. and more people coming to the region specifically to see that probably, I guess, only highlighted that that even more. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been fascinating having a bit more of an insight into to, to what goes on. Um, I know that we've spoken for, for many, many years Um and it's always been business. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think it's been really interesting just to kind of delve into a little bit more behind the scenes, um, especially with something as, as big as a move. Because, um, I mean, I remember when you told me that you were definitely making the move and I was thinking, oh, how's that going to work? And, you know, <laughs> and then obviously the timing of COVID, that just didn't help. But um, it's it's amazing to sort of see, you know, exactly how you're navigating your way, way through things. Yeah. As I do with all of my guests on the podcast, we, we close out with two, two questions. So the first one for you to think about is if you had to look back at your time as a dad, as a series of diary entries, is there a moment 
or any moments that stand out in particular? Um, probably my wedding day and being there and seeing the kids walk down in front of their mum is probably up there as number one. And I think that, that, you know, like sometimes people say, oh, you get married, but what changes? Like that day and seeing the kids, it actually did change. That that was the moment where we was like, okay, we knew it was a family, but that's when the move was decided. That's when obviously COVID happened. But I would say from that point is where everything kind of changed. So yeah, I'd say that's up there as number one. And then I think probably <clears throat> Macy seven had his four, five in a few weeks. But me DJing and then being there for the first time, that, which happened last uh, Christmas time in the Maldives, there'd never been anywhere I DJed. Mm. And them just like standing there, stargazing <laughs> at me. I was just like, that That also is up there. And it, we had so many plans that summer for them to come to festivals and stuff like that. And I'm glad it took for like a small show like that for them to be like, yeah, okay, now I get it. it and I think that's, that's, that's what I was probably searching for. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I think them them two moments definitely up there. Amazing. They now finally understand what their dad does when he when he jumps on a plane and and goes off somewhere. Yeah. Well, it, it lasted for thirty seconds and then they run off and <laughs> <I know>. started <laughs> playing. <so. laughs> they found something else to do. That's 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 just yeah. kids through and through, to be honest. And the second question then is: there any date or dates in the diary that you're looking forward to this year? Um. I wouldn't say there's any like key dates. I think there's a lot, a lot is going to happen and change over the next month. Right. <clears throat> like a lot of big decisions need to be made. Um, everything I'm kind of doing in the summer I've, I've done. Yeah. So I wouldn't say they're key dates. Um, yeah, I think if you were to ask me in a month's time, probably there'll be two or three. Okay. But right now, like I'm just, I'm, just happy to kind of be looking forward to everything being normal again. Mm. I hope anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. There's not really any key dates that I'm like, okay, yeah, this, this is what I'm looking forward to. Cause I, I, I'm, I'm in that mindset where now I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Like when before, yeah. Okay. I'm doing this festival in two weeks. Let's just work towards that. Or I've got this big opportunity. Let's work to that when I just think it's not, I don't know. Like I'm I'm probably more looking forward to Hallie's birthday in a few weeks and making sure like two bookings came in on that day where before I probably would have said to T, I've got this booking here now. I should go. And she'll say, Yeah, when now I'm like, no, nah, not happening. Mm. And yeah, I'd, I'd be looking more forward to something like that than anything else. It's amazing because I think that just shows as you've said throughout this conversation, just that change in mindset that you've you've had yeah. over the last couple of years that you know that birthday party that's that's your key date that's that's the one <laughs> that's, that's what it. it is the one to. yeah <laughs> yeah but I, I, if i say that i've got to say Mace, macy's one as well in october so, yeah but both of them <laughs> both of the both of the girls birthdays well thank you so much for for the chat i've really enjoyed the, our conversation um no, thank you for having me and um honestly I've, I've messaged you every time i've listened to an episode but it's it's amazing and i think it just needs more of these conversations need to happen because it's needed. 
and yeah congrats on it all thank you so much um i'm looking forward to to seeing how many dads I can sit down with and, and have these conversations with. I think everyone would want to. There's no reason why they wouldn't. Like, and, and obviously you're the person for it. So thanks for having me, man. Cheers. Cheers.